This podcast includes explicit language and situations. It is intended for adults 18 years of age and older. These thoughts and opinions are not those of any specific group, employer, or individual. Listener discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign with your hosts, Justin Reardon and Kelly Hanahan. Justin, welcome back. Episode 12. Episode 12. I know. We're, we're so happy to have Tamara Jean with us later on. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about a little, you know, something we're kind of good at. You know, something called home staging. Oh. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Right. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think you know a thing or two. <laughs> and what I want to talk about is probably one of our design principles, meaning the, the, the core values of our design aesthetic that we work really hard to maintain consistency with throughout all of our properties in Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles is no fakery, no fake stuff. And again, like I came in and I learned all the psychology of these design principles from you guys. So I have a couple of questions and maybe I think it'll be really great for real estate agents to hear why we make these choices. Does that sound good? Yeah. I mean, this called behind the yard sign. So we should probably talk about stuff that's actually like, you know, in the background. We're like doing some truth telling yeah. here. We're laying it down. Like what we're doing, why we're motivated to make certain decisions because things come up. People ask us questions all the time. Like, why don't you do fake plans? And why don't you put in like those fake TV cardboard things, you know, <laughs> like in model homes and the things that like make us cringe. Yes. Why don't we start out? What What's the most egregiously fake thing you've ever seen in a staging? So why the hell somebody did this? I have no idea. So they did that thing where they're in the master bedroom. They've got the blow up mattress, which is like, you know, general stage oh, or fakery. No. They just look terrible. And I'll tell you how we got to the, why we came to the conclusion we had to use real mattresses. But they have that, like the breakfast tray where you would serve somebody breakfast in bed you know and it had like oh yeah one glass of fake wine in it and like a bottle of a fake it was a real bottle of wine but somebody had corked it drank it and then stepped the cork back in again <laughs> they bought like a bottle of two buck chuck drank the whole thing and then they were like here you can have the bottle it's worth at least 50 cents but then the the part that that got me the part that made me plots was that there was like a fake spilled glass of wine that like was off the tray on the white comforter it was like a like a big blotch of like red wine that looked like you know i don't know jello or something like cabernet flavored jello had like spilled onto this comfort with a with the wine glass on its side and it made you walk into the space and be like ooh like the first you felt shocked because you thought somebody had spilled it yeah oh no like you know because the one thing you want your clients to feel as they're looking at houses like stressed and then when you realized it was fake you were like ew why would somebody do that (laughs) then like all that they're thinking all that your client is thinking about is like what the fuck is going on with the staging that aren't even thinking about the house at this point that's the worst one i've ever seen it's usually around food that grosses me out it's not necessarily even fake but like the bowl of popcorn that has been in 15 different houses over the last the course of the last three years and it's been out for so long that the popcorn kernels have actually kind of like shrunk and become like moist and weird and you walk no. in and you're like, mmm, popcorn. And you get close to it, you're like, ooh, popcorn. Gross. <laughs> so gross. So gross. Or I have one more, one more. The yeah, yeah. the container of pasta that's like the rainbow pasta with like there's the red and yellow and green. You know what I'm talking about? Like those tricolored yes. pastas. Yes. But in the last house that it was in, half of it was facing towards the window. So half of it is just bleached out all white and the other half still has color. Oh my God. <laughs> 
so much gross shit yeah so we don't do any of those things we don't like before we talk about what we don't do what's the why why are we not doing these things so when i first opened the company a real estate agent who was doing his own staging said i'll sell you all of my old stuff and i was like great and i took a truck and i went over and picked it up and in that batch of stuff there was like a bowl of fake green apples that i thought were really cool i was like this is so cool fake green apples and um i brought on an assistant her name was jamie and jamie was like no we're not doing this and i was like what and she's like we're not doing fake stuff so i would love to like tell you that this was totally my idea that we're not going to do fake stuff but this was jamie she was like we are not doing that and like i had taken um like really big ikea picture frames and i put black butcher paper in them to just make them look like fake tv screens because i don't know if you know this but like a fake tv is like 150 bucks like they're not wow. cheap so i was trying to make my wow. own fake tv screens and they looked like hell like the first month that i was in business i remember i moved my dining room out of the dining room and i went out and i bought a blow-up mattress and i was like i'm gonna figure out how to make a blow-up mattress look good and i must have made that bed like 75 different times and every single time it looked like a flipping blow-up mattress and that was it and I was like, okay, well, that's the end of the story. We're not going to do this. We're going to buy real mattresses. And so we've never actually put a blow-up mattress in a house. I was just testing it to see what would happen. And we've always used real mattresses. And the principle behind it is that we feel like home stages are creepy enough. And when you put fake stuff in, like the let's say like the fake laptop computer, you know, the, what you're saying to the buyer is you are stupid enough to believe that this is real. The joke is on you. Whereas mm -hmm. what we do is we put in the typewriter like an antique typewriter and everybody knows that nobody uses typewriters at this point that is not a thing that people walk in and go like holy cow this person uses a typewriter the joke there is you get that nobody uses typewriters you understand that this is where your computer would be you are in on the joke with us there's a little bit of whimsy here a little bit of nostalgia we're not trying to trick you into anything we're just letting you know that this is where your computer would go and so by including our buyer in on the joke it gives them just a touch of whimsy and they look at it they giggle and they move on you know it's not like the wine glass where people are like you know first horrified where the again the joke is on them like i tricked you into play. like why don't they just leave like fake dog poop in the yard while they're at it like, yeah. <laughs> Just right. Terrible. What are they trying to achieve here? Yes, yeah. yes. You know, and a lot of people have gotten upset with us over the years because we don't have plants in our stagings. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, a client will have their own plants and they want to take care of them and we're fine with that. We don't really care. We don't do live plants because it is very, very expensive. We would have to charge a buttload to go through and water those plants and take care of them for our clients. Nobody wants to pay for that. We don't do fake plants because fake plants are ugly. They're yeah, tacky. They're they look terrible. And I think that a lot of home stagers use fake plants because they have an empty corner and they're like oh my god we need something over here versus taking on the creativity to try to fill that with something that isn't a fake plant it's really easy to just like just stick a fake plant in it the home staging industry they call it greenery that's the quote-unquote greenery and we don't use that at all and i <laughs> I will often have people like call us and be like, we'd like to buy some of your greenery. And I'm like, we don't, we don't have any greenery. There's none. And they're like, oh, I will admit that we do have one thing that is fake in our entire inventory. What? We have fake coral. So. Oh. 
We have fake coral on inventory and only because coral is already super endangered and having a really hard time surviving that I feel like it would be oh, unethical yes. for us to go out and like get coral. And the fake coral is like, it is so believable looking that it's almost hard to tell that it's not. I feel like it would be unethical for us to use real coral and probably we shouldn't even have fake coral because it goes against our design principles, but I let it slide on that one. <laughs> you can go to like any thrift store and you can buy hard, like beautiful hardback books for like 50 cents. Not even kidding. I have totally seen homes stagers buy fake prop books and I went shopping for fake prop books they're like 20 bucks each why wouldn't you just use your look we have so many books oh we have tons of books yes yes you do have to be careful like in the books that you buy to put into a house because right we've come across like I think we had a, a copy of Mein Kampf once that was just like came in oh, like no. in a big like somebody had an estate sale and we bought like all the books yeah, donated you have to go through yeah. and like look at every single copy because like we wouldn't include like Hillary Clinton's biography we wouldn't include right. the art of the deal by Donald Trump because these are right. super emotionally evocative. We have to be very careful, like, because a lot of books have like super racist titles, and a lot of books have like subject matter in them that I wouldn't like say, you know, that book should be burned, but we're certainly not going to put it in a house because it's emotionally evocative. So of all the things that we do not include because of this fakery design principle, things you're not going to see. No fake food. No fake, <laughs> fake, fake spilled wine. No, no, no spilled wine. Fake, Actually, no fake. no wine at all. We don't ever put wine in houses. Right. No alcohol, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we don't. No, that's another reason. evocative. Yeah, yeah. No fake electronics. Nope. That's so like no TVs. For a TV, we'll do like a piece of art that is roughly the size of a TV. And then we'll put like a vintage eight millimeter projector in front of it, like on a table so that you can tell like this yeah. is where your media would go. It's like, again, that gentle yeah. nod towards media selection. Yeah. yeah. It's very classy and it looks so good in photographs. It's so brand identifying. You walk in the house as all electronics. Yes. You're like, oh, this is great in Archer. No fake mattresses. No blow, no blow mattresses. mattresses. No yeah. fake plants. Nope. God, I'm trying to think of what other fake things people do. Uh, fake flowers. A lot of fake flowers. Oh, right. Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of fake flowers. No fake totally. books. <laughs> right. No fake books. Right. We want it to feel. And, you know, we always talk about the psychology of staging. And the fake stuff betrays the psychology. Yes. Because your brains are taught to go find that what's inauthentic. There's a company that makes furniture, like couches and chairs and coffee tables that are actually cardboard boxes that collapse down flat and you can fold them up into the cardboard boxes and then they have custom made slip covers that go over them. And the, they're actually more expensive than real couches. But the idea is that like, if you had a Subaru Outback, you could stage a whole house out of a super outback you wouldn't have to have a truck and i think if there's ever a time that you have to put a note on something that explains how to use it like don't sit on this bed or like you know beware yes. fake cake if you have to put a note on it to explain to people how to or how not to use it you probably shouldn't be doing that at all the fake furniture thing you'll never you'll never see that in no. one of our houses yeah well that's definitely one of the best ways that people walk in and know exactly whose work it is because it screams us all day 
day long. It is it is very interesting. I mean, we've been doing this for, what, 11 years now? It's true enough, the industry has changed greatly during the time that we've been doing this. But I think because our aesthetic is so different and so well-defined that there's not... I've only seen, like, maybe two or three home changers that have, like, really, really tried to, like, copy exactly what we do word for word. I did meet a home changer once who said... She goes, oh, I love your company. I was like, oh, thank you so much. And she's like, yeah, I tell all my clients I'm just like Spade and Archer, except for less expensive. And I was like, oh, don't, don't, don't sell yourself short. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you're good at your business. You're good at what you do. And to, to hinge your entire reputation upon what we do, you're depending on us continuing to do a good job. Because what if we someday don't do a good job and you've always defined yourself by us, like break out from our shadow sister, go do your own thing, like define yourself for who you are. It made me almost kind of sad. I mean, it was it was a huge compliment, but at the same time, like, I felt a little bit sad for her. Well, isn't that just one more form of fakery? <laughs> oh my God, bringing it back to the beginning. <laughs> bring, it, bring it back. Kelly Hanahan yeah, with the half dollar suplex. I know. Whoops. <laughs> Talking about not fakery, we can go talk to Tamara Dean right now, who we're so thrilled to have from Seattle. Um, she's got a super interesting story for us, I know, because her her real estate journey is super interesting. She's waiting for us quietly in the green room. Should we go get her? Yeah, let's go. All right, cool. Okay, well, here we are. Um, we are so lucky to have with us today Tamara Dean from Windermere outside Seattle, a long-term client of ours. And we've been so lucky to partner with her on so many properties um, over the years. And so it's just another really great opportunity for us to get your real estate story. So Tamara, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you, I know, have been doing real estate for a while. Yeah, over 20 years? Yep, almost 23 years. I think I did the math yesterday. Yesterday. So yeah, 23 Wow. Years. So she started when she was four. In <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> I was so smart back then. <laughs> we love sharing stories from people who have been in the industry for a while because we think that a lot of people who are gravitate towards behind the yard sign are newer agents. And so it's just like you have all the riches, the goodness, the stories, the experience. And so we're, we're really happy to have you today to tell us a little bit about it. But how did you land on real estate? For some people, they were born into it. For some people, they came to it after like a second or third career move. Like what really made you settle and realize that real estate was for you? So I kind of actually got into it by accident, honestly. Um, my dad was an agent when I was growing up, but he did commercial property within the city. So he only sold apartment buildings. So my experiences with him growing up was just like going to these really shitty apartment buildings in downtown Seattle, and we'd always be cleaning them up for some reason. And I know that he sold them, but I, I'm not really sure why we were always there cleaning them and like, you know, throwing mattresses <laughs> out the window and all of that. But anyway, so that's kind of, that's how we, we glamorous. <laughs> yeah, it was super glamorous. So when I was 20, I was pregnant with my first daughter, single mom, waiting tables. And so I, it was kind of to the point, you know, things were changing, technology was changing. And my dad, I just felt like he needed a little bit of help. So I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to come work with you. And then I'll figure it out. You know, and that was that was kind of how I accidentally kind of jumped into it, just thinking I would go help him out for a couple years, get a little bit more organized, because he was more of the paper and pen, write everything down in the Rolodex kind of guy. Old school. And, mm-hmm. Exactly. And things were really changing. So I went in to help him sell apartment buildings. And that really wasn't my thing and just kind of morphed into residential. Did you continue to cocktail 
sale while you were doing real estate at the same time? Yeah, I continued waitressing for about three more years because I had a, a little one to support and I was really too scared to kind of make the jump. You yeah. know, I was like the first year I was in the business, I didn't do a single deal. Just just so you know, I wasn't one of those agents that jump in and have like this really fantastic first year. That just was not my story. So I continued to cocktail for, yeah, almost three years when I first got licensed. So you're single momming, you're mm-hmm. cocktailing, you're doing real estate. Mm-hmm. Did you, how did you like have time to take a shower? Like, how did you have time to do anything? <laughs> like, did you, was, did, was hobbies even like a part of your vocabulary at that point? No, and I still don't really have any because of it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but but <laughs> I, I think I'm lucky because I did have a good support system within my family. So I always had a sister or a sibling or mom or somebody around that could help with my daughter at the time. But yeah, it was a lot because, you know, getting into the business, you have to do a lot and just kind of be everywhere as much as you can so that you can kind of learn everything. So it was like doing that during the day and then being at the restaurant at four o'clock, working till midnight, one o'clock in the morning, you know, sleeping, getting up and doing it all over again. So it was a rough couple of years, but you know, we made it. Let's talk about that and how boundaries work and how do you, because I think in real estate, a lot of your business comes from your, your sphere of influence, your friends, your family, the people that are around you, people who know your name. How do you keep that from just like, completely inundating your life or does it completely inundate your life and that's the way that you work like what's your boundaries look like I would say it has always completely inundated my life and I'm really really working on the boundaries and it's not well it hasn't been until the last couple years honestly where I've really kind of started to set them and actually take time for myself I think that that's just a trap that I got into early on that I was always doing something or trying to help somebody do this or do that or working and and I just really never took the time for myself just to like be okay with me and kind of what was going on with me. So all of that learning and growing and career changes and, you know, being a mom and all of that stuff, it just all, you know, I always took like the second, the backseat to that, that ultimately did catch up with me. What did that look like? Was there a moment when that caught up to you and you were like, yeah, I think so. Like when my daughter was about 11 or 12, I got married again when she was four. And one day it was just like, I was looking at my, my life and my marriage in shambles and just like really having like zero emotion about anything. And I was like, okay, like what the fuck? Like, you know, who who am I? How did I get here? And like, I didn't even, I felt like very, very numb to everything. And it was, it was a good wake up call. I had a, a coach at the time and he was just like, you know what? Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You just need to get out of your shit right now. And like, this is, this is what you need to do. And it just was a real kind of aha moment for me. So having that outside influence, do you think that that helped you to identify what was going on and how to address it? 100% because I was in such at that time, kind of like this victim mode, like, oh, poor me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I've done this for everybody else and this is all I've been doing. And I'm just always trying to help. Help. No one cares about me. Wah, wah, wah. And the way that my marriage ended, I could even go on and on about the whole poor me thing. But with that being said, I think it was just, it took that third party to really pull me out of that and really see it from another perspective so I could just like get out of my shit. I love that you use coaches because even if your life hadn't been very challenging during that time, I would say in the 
best of scenarios, it's so difficult to come into entrepreneurship or real estate and not really understanding the like emotional roller coaster you're strapping yourself in for in the beginning. You just have to become so emotionally resilient, I think, in business no matter what. And you were already in such a difficult place in trying to launch your business. So did you use that coach or other resources? I think this is a great question for people who are listening, but to kind of get over like the fear of rejection because you're reaching it, you know, you're trying to build a network, people you know, friends and family, that's very emotional process. How did you navigate all of that? So I've actually been coaching for the last 15 years. So I've never yeah. stopped actually. Okay. So, and that, and that has really been kind of my rock because no matter what is going on in my business or in my life, I always have that person or that third party that's always seeing things from another perspective. And, you know, 99% of the time I know, but you don't really pay attention to the things that you know. You know, you think you know everything and you kind of get in this little sure. you know, circle or this little spiral and it just sometimes takes that other person, somebody that you're not close to. Because if it's your spouse yeah. or a sibling, some you know, somebody that you know and love trying to tell you what to do, how to be, then obviously, well, at least for me, I have a way different reaction to that. <laughs> like, stop telling me what to do. You don't know, you know, as opposed right. to my coach, he's just like, you know, he can point things out and I'm like, it's like a therapist. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, exactly. Have you had multiple coaches throughout your coaching throughout your period or has it always um, been the same person? No, I've had a couple different ones actually. So I started with this guy. Um, he was actually my first coach, the one that I coach with now. And I went through a couple other other ones and they were more business oriented, which is really great, but they were more like numbers driven and how many contacts are you going to make and what is your goal? And what's your financial goal? What's your transaction goal? And I just really didn't resonate with that because that's <laughs> you're not, like, like, you're like, fuck if I know. not my why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't care. Like that's, that's not my why. That's, that's not what makes me happy. I know people are like, I'm going to do 50 deals this year. And if I don't hit it, you know, but, and, and that's great. And it works for a lot of people that just doesn't really work for me. I had a couple of those type of coaches for a while. And then I ultimately went back to my original coach who I've just kind of grown to love and adore, who just probably knows me better than anybody else in the world at this point. Interesting. So I, I did have a coach yeah. for a while, some of that I used on a regular basis. And there came a point where like three or four of our meetings ended up just being the same exact thing of him saying like, you're doing great. This is not working. And there came a point where I was like, I, yeah. I, I think I've moved beyond your scope and I'm going to try to find yeah. somebody else at this point. And that's a really good point too, because coaches like, like we do, they kind of get, you know, stagnant and just kind of in, okay, you know, I'm doing what I can do, but unless you're a coach and when you are looking for someone, unless that person is really out there trying to make themselves better and their lives better and constantly getting more information and doing the things that are going to make them a better coach, you're right. I mean, your relationships just kind of get stagnant and then there's no need to pay somebody to, to basically do nothing for right. you. Because if all your coach does is make you feel good, they're not taking you outside your comfort yeah. zone. <laughs> they're not helping you grow any no. better, not helping you get any better. It feels nice, but like most coaches coaching sessions, I walk away from kind of pissed. Like I'm a little bit upset. Yeah. And and that's their job is to take me out of that comfort zone and to move me into that next position. So yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Forcing you to do things that you don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to rejection, all of us have had that situation where we have somebody who is incredibly important to us and we think so fondly of them. And then, you know, you think you're doing a great job and you're maintaining that contact and you're doing everything they've asked you to do. And then they haul off and hire somebody else without even like asking you or even thinking of you or giving you a phone call and be like, hey, I'm going to hire somebody else. How do you mm-hmm. deal with that? Because I mean, you know, your instinct is like pick up the phone and be like, hey, asshole, you know. <laughs> 
How do you mm-hmm. deal? Which I have done before, by the way. <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> How'd that go? Hey, asshole. It was more of the passive aggressive thing. Like, hey, so saw your house went on the market. Like, hey, where are you going? You know, just kind of like, I'm now, now you know that I know that I know. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. but not necessarily calling him out on that, which is probably totally wrong. But, you know, sometimes you just feel like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> That's a good question, Justin. I think that I don't deal with it very well, honestly. And, um, and I haven't dealt with it, honestly, because I tend to get, you know, I tend to get a little bit hurt over it. But I think the longer I've been in the business and the older I get, I'm starting to care less about, you know, what other people think. And as long as I can kind of just reel myself back into, you know what, this is a timing thing. Like, you know, maybe I obviously wasn't reaching out as much as I should have been because they found somebody else that was going to take care of them and I was ignoring them. So, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And I'm, I'm getting better about that for sure. So you use it as like a, as a motivational? Uh, yeah, motivational and just kind of a learning thing. And just like, hey, if I want to be in front of people that I need to be in front of people, I can't like, you know, play this little like spiral, like the little secret agent role where I'm kind of in the background, like not ever, you know, coming up or waving or saying hi, but then expecting people to contact me. Like, obviously that's not the way the business works, even though I think that's the way it should work, but it doesn't. So I just have to kind of keep reminding myself of that. There's always somebody better out there, right? So if you're not even going to try, it's just like... And maybe it's not even better. Maybe it's just a better fit for that particular one, you know? We just actually just had a great conversation with some agents that had paired up. We um, noticed you recently partnered with another agent for a single listing. So is this something you choose to do often? Do you work with the same people? What's your process for deciding to partner with someone? That's all kind of happened on accident because I typically, I haven't had a business partner per se. It's always just kind of been me. But every once in a while, I will come across somebody that asked me to co-list or something or help out or maybe I'll you know want to take a trip so I just you know co-list with Mm -hmm. a particular agent in my office so that he or she can handle stuff while I'm away kind of reeling back a little bit on that a lot of my business actually does come from other brokers and which I've been really I'm proud of that fact I mean it's a it's a huge compliment and it's you know and a testament to me I think that I end up partnering with some of the the agents that have maybe referred me something because they can't deal with a client or that somebody has an interesting property that maybe they don't have experience maybe it's like multifamily or you know or, or just something. So I, I tend to co-list with some brokers on certain things just to kind of be a second pair of eyes, ears, and just kind of help out. Explain to me like this. Is, so you have referrals where somebody like, let's say there's an agent in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who knows who you are because you met them at a convention or something. They send you a client and they say, hey, we want you to help you find this person a house in Bellevue. And so you go through and you do that. There's that kind of referral. But then there's also what yeah. you're talking about, where it's like, this is another local agent that might not have right. the skill set that you have. Is that how that works? Not even the skill set, but I would say like, I mean, there's there's agents that maybe don't have never done a new construction deal or have never worked with a builder before. Or maybe um, there's an agent that is part of a builder partnership and they don't want to necessarily represent them themselves, you know, as being a partner, but they, they want somebody else that's kind of going to be a little bit third party to the transaction. Mm-hmm. Or there's there's a lot of brokers that are just kind of burnt out, you know, on their way out of the business, don't want to deal with a particular client or their client has maybe a condo in downtown Seattle and they're on the east side. They don't they don't want to go across the bridge. You know, those, those kind of scenarios is what I, I work with a lot of brokers. On. And do you think that they come to you because you get the message out that you're like, hey, I'm willing to work with people and I'm open and and I'm willing, or do you think they come to you because you have a reputation for getting her done? Like, why do you think these agents who are technically competitors 
bring you in on their business. Yeah. With the people that I've tend to co-list and broker and partner up with, it's always been more or less me doing them a favor in the past. You know, I, I think that that's kind of how mm-hmm. it starts. Like you have a good relationship because you, you, you have a transaction together and you've got each other's back and you end up working so well together that they appreciate that. And I think it's just kind of one of those things, what goes around comes around kind of thing. So if you're always out there doing what the right thing and doing what's best, not necessarily for yourself, but for your clients or for other people, like that, that kind of comes around full circle. And I think that that's where a lot of my business come. It's really interesting because I think a lot of real estate agents see themselves as lawyers, that they are there to mm-hmm. fight for their client. And ultimately, (laughs) real estate agents are there to fight for the closing. They're there to try to get it done. Mm -hmm. To get it finished, yeah. And so many agents come Mm -hmm. into the process with a, you know, it's going to be a win-lose situation. And it sounds Mm -hmm. to me like the reason why so many people reach out to you is because you very much have a win-win philosophy. Like, we can all do this together. Everybody's going to get what they want eventually. Right. It doesn't have to be like, you lose, I win. I mean, there's always a medium, right? Like, there's always a happy medium with almost everything. And it that's what has to be the goal because that's the way that everybody feels good at the end of the day and then people can move on with in good conscience. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Has that been your philosophy for the beginning or was there a point where you learned that? No, I think that that's just kind of who I've always been. I think that that I could thank, you know, my parents for because I always just kind of, and me being the oldest of six, I'm always like the peacemaker, right? I'm always the mm-hmm. one like, you know, <laughs> making sure everybody like, you know, gets what they need. And so maybe it's a little bit of that, but that's just kind of how it's always been for me. That's interesting. I think you probably take that for granted that everybody does that as easily as you do. And I think for a lot of us, it's a daily reminder. We can all win. We can all win. We can all win. That's a really fantastic philosophy. How's COVID changed your business? So in the beginning, obviously it was very interesting and bleak and a little weird and all of those things, you know, <laughs> we have so many, so many names for COVID. But um, at this point, I feel like has it really, really changed that much? No, in a lot of ways, I don't think that it really has. I mean, yes, there are definitely restrictions on showings. We're not doing open houses. You know, everybody has to keep safety first. I mean, everyone wear masks and, you know, hand sanitize and this and this and that. And and I think the conversations with people need to be a little bit more upfront about the risks, you know, especially when you have people in the home that maybe have health issues and things like that. I mean, they just have to, you know, understand what the risks are about people coming in and out of the house. But other than that, I, I think it's just like a constant moving target. <laughs> I guess I'm still trying to really kind of figure it out, like, because every day things change a little bit and is it going to get worse and is it going to come back or is it kind of on the mend and as everything kind of keeps moving I I don't know I guess we're just kind of going with it at this How old are your kids? 29, 27, 26, 22, and 13. So you got one at home still or how many do you have at home? I'm assuming there's one at home. Just one, thank God. So you guys are in COVID, (laughs) you're working full time, you've got Uh a kid at home and you just moved too so like do you always have this much on your plate? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of three, three remodels too. So we're remodeling the house that we moved that we just bought or remodeling a barn that we're kind of converting into a house. And then I've got a property in Boise I'm remodeling too. So yeah, I always have a lot. Wow. So. This is my third meeting today and it's the third time the city of Boise has been brought up. I grew up in Boise. Oh, and so like this just keeps coming up today. Yeah. Like what's with Boise? And if you're out, if you're a real estate investor, I... invest in Boise, everybody's going there. <laughs> Go to Boise now. Everyone is going to Boise. (laughs) 
I've got four rentals there and they have been like way better than anything I have here. <laughs> interesting. That's also super interesting to point out too is like, hey, from cocktail waitress to like I own four rentals just in Boise, let alone they're outperforming the ones that I have here. So I mean, amazing success story. Like you have just, you blow me away. And I and when I reached out to you, I was like, hey, I would really love to share your story because we had gone to lunch together a long time ago and I just was so inspired by your story. And even when I asked you to be on the podcast, you were like, my story isn't really that interesting. And I was like, girl, you don't even fucking know. Your story is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that interesting. It's so insignificant, I feel like, but okay. But thank you. Sometimes the hustlers, the founders, the CEOs, the entrepreneurs, like what drives us is kind of a sense of like, you know, that voice in the back of your head that says you're not enough. You're not doing it right yet. Like not yet, not yet, not yet. Keep hustling. Like, do you still feel that voice pop up every once in a while? Or do you think that you've neutralized that through coaching? Or what's your journey been like in that? No, it definitely still comes up because I mean, I still don't handle rejection, like, you know, quote unquote, right? I mean, that's still Mm -hmm. a struggle for me. And I do always feel like I'm, you know, I'm not doing enough. Like I can always be better. I can always be better. You know, you know, like Justin's kind words, like that doesn't even resonate with me. Like, like that's not even at all where I'm at in my head, you know? So to hear Mm -hmm. him say that it's like, you know, thank you. Okay. Yeah, I get it. I guess I do have some things to be proud of, but in my daily, like mindset about myself and kind of where I'm at, there's always like people that are doing more than me and always people that are like doing better than I am so it's this constant and it's weird because it's not even really like a competitive thing because I don't it's not necessarily that I want it but it's just like I just never feel like I'm at that level that other people are if that makes sense it absolutely makes sense and you know a lot of times when you get that phone call and somebody says I know you're really busy because you're so successful we are taught as I think as gay men and as women and maybe it's maybe it's across the board it doesn't matter that that you are supposed to like say no 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 to a compliment you know you're supposed to deny it Mm -hmm. and I think that we deny our compliments so often that we start to believe them and Mm -hmm. ultimately like we've done pretty good job getting where we are and you know we've had our benefits we've had our privileges most certainly it's okay to be proud of yourself for the work that you've done that pride is one of those things that I mean like look at gay culture we have entire like an entire month not to celebrate being gay but to literally celebrate the pride of being gay like how are you proud of yourself because we were taught like as people to hate ourselves for so long and I think women are taught to hate themselves and to think that they're not good enough you guys have entire magazines talking about how you could be better like there's entire industries built on how you could be better I wish that that every once in a while we could look at ourselves in the mirror and be like hey you know what you are fucking good enough you are fucking good and that's why you're on this podcast right now because you are fucking good enough I appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) tell us about the worst day you've ever had in real estate so I've probably had a few really, really, really bad days in real estate, but my worst was probably like the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. Well, maybe not ever, but a pretty embarrassing. Well, there's a couple. I mean, I've like worn really high heels and ate shit down the driveway a couple times, like more than once, but (laughs) that's why we don't wear heels anymore. Just saying, but um, probably the worst thing was I was actually covering for another broker in my office and I was still pretty new. It was probably like my first five years in and he was out of town and he had some clients that were coming in from Boston to go look at houses and he was kind of stuck and I was like I can show him not a big deal right I'm showing them houses 
you know how a lot of people that are coming into town relocating, they'll want to videotape all of the homes that they see so that they can remember when they go back home, right? So he's walking around with the video camera and we this was like our fifth or sixth house. We're, you know, five, six hours into it and I have to pee really bad. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm just going to use the restroom really fast because like I have to pee and like look around, blah, blah, blah. I'll be right here. Of course, the powder room door didn't lock. I was like, whatever, they're upstairs. I'm not even going to think about it. So <laughs> I'm peeing. Dude comes downstairs with his video camera in his hand. No opens the door <laughs> and I was just, oh my god I was like so mortified <laughs> so there there I am peeing in his camera when he went oh. home with his video so I mean maybe not as embarrassing to him but it was super embarrassing for me I won't even go to the bathroom when I'm touring anymore I'm just like I'll just hold it <laughs> was this when when jumpers were popular because with a jumper you gotta drop that whole thing down to your ankles <laughs> you when you go to the bathroom yeah <laughs> Thank goodness, no, but yeah, I know I thought about that too. I don't know who ever decided for women that jumpers are, I mean, have you ever gone to a bar and a jumper? It's the worst. <laughs> the the, the floor is all wet. Yeah, you know, it's terrible. Especially after a couple cocktails, you're like trying to hold it up off the oh, floor. Don't even get me so started. gross. The sacrifices we make. Gross. So the, the flip of that would be, what was your best experience in real estate? And you were just like, yes, this is the career for me. I've made it. I'm in the exact right spot. And you just always can like reflect back on that high point. This is going to sound horrible, but I don't have like that moment for that at all. Like there's nothing that I can think of or that pops to my mind that's like, okay, this is my defining moment. This is exactly why I'm doing this. There's been a lot of moments just with clients. At the end of the day, they're super happy. I'm super happy things work out. You know, you do everything that you can for them and it's like a great situation. And I've met some really, really, really awesome, amazing people that have turned into awesome friends. But I feel like it's kind of that as a collective, I can't really think of like one specific moment where it was like, okay, this is it. I mean, aside from obvious client wins, like what would you say sparks the most joy? Yeah. Like them meeting their goals, like, you know, and, and I really, I love helping people invest too, like in trying to kind of diversify like financially and, and their goals. And that, that I think is, makes me happy when I see that we bought something for a really, really great price. And then they turned around and made a shit ton of money when they sold it, you know, and that they're Hell super yeah. happy. I mean, that makes me happy. Yeah. When they can, sure. they have that. You have quite a personal portfolio, right? Yeah. Or which piece are you like most happy about right now? Like what's the piece that you're excited about? The investment yeah. piece? Yeah. Like is there one property that you're like, that property's killing it? Well, you know, with COVID and our state of Washington non-eviction rules and all of that, I have a couple tenants that I have to say <laughs> are not making me happy right now. But honestly, my Boise properties are all really great and I have great tenants and those are the ones that are cash flowing so, so well compared to the ones up here. And the project that I'm most excited about though is the house that we just bought because it's like an un touch 1960s mid-century that I'm going to totally get and redo so that's like what I'm excited about right now. Super excited. Are you going to live in it or will you flip it? No, we're going to live in it. So awesome. Where can (laughs) we find you on the interwebs? (laughs) TamaraDean.com Tamara Dean is a real estate agent with Windermere Yarrow Bay, which is located in Kirkland. Tamara, it's been such a pleasure having you on board today. Yeah, well, thank you. I really, really enjoyed it and I appreciate you having me. Okay, 
well, we're coming back from Tamara, and I loved our little our little new music. Our new music is so good. Tamara's amazing, and I liked her story a lot. And you know me, I always love focusing in on like what it actually takes for real estate agents to become successful, very specifically at business. And there are just so many universal truths to being in business and the emotional resilience that it takes. And I just love like drilling into that. And she sounds like she's been through it. I mean, oh my goodness. Yeah. The way she launched her business and the way she muddled through and all of that. So very, very hard fought. And I love that she had a coach just because I think that we are just not normally born emotionally understanding everything that we need to be able to navigate to succeed in business. But I loved talking about rejection with her a little bit. What I want to know from you, Justin, is you know, you're really involved with a lot of other entrepreneurs in addition to having survived. 11 years of your own entrepreneurial journey. So like, what's what's it been like for you with rejection? Um, does it get easier? Do you become more hardened to it? Or is it just as fresh every time because your business is your baby, your baby is your business right, and right. it doesn't go away? A little bit more on Tamara before we go on. I think that what's amazing about her is that her story is really interesting and she is really successful and people do come to her because she has these expertise that they don't. And maybe it is her humble nature nature that keeps them coming back. And so there's this balance between like being humble and acknowledging your success that you have to play like every day, right? Nothing humbles you faster than one of your good friends using somebody else. <laughs> that, hurt, that stings. It really stings. It does. And, you know, I had an experience like this last week where, you know, we had a, an agent that uh, was new to the business and I spent time with them and like gave them a ton of insight into the business and like, somebody who's been like pretty much a lifelong acquaintance at least if not friend uh they did a couple of listings last week and we never even like did a pricing for them we never did anything and they hired a home stager and like tagged the other home stager on social media and so of course i see it and you know it's hurt my feelings and i I called a couple people and i was like what do you think and uh it was interesting because one person i called was chad who's our creative director and he was like look dude karma is karma what goes around comes around and you know you have matched a thousand people up because like my whole gig is i love to match people right i'm like when somebody reaches out to me and is like hey i'm looking for somebody who does oil changes i'm like great i know somebody does oil changes i can do that and because of eo i'm super well connected and that is always such a pleasure for me that's something that i can give as an introduction and he goes you have gotten a thousand introductions over time and a million people have used you you've gotten lots and lots of great stuff to come back to you and maybe just this one doesn't and that's okay you can let go of it and I was like that is so good I had another person my the advice was like you know pick up the phone and call that person and and be like why didn't you use me and I was like oh it just kind of brings a whole bunch of negative energy into my life I don't really feel like doing that absolutely because think about it this way it's like imagine you have an entire bowl of sand in front of you enormous like a fish bowl of sand this one particular instance this one particular sense of rejection is literally one grain of sand versus all of these other interactions and transactions that you've generated in your business and sometimes it just feels like it's screaming at us because it's the loudest thing in our mind but really it's such an insignificant part of our total right you know bird's eye view success in the business i mean like literally that happened thursday evening and we closed for business on thursday evening our our teams work four days a week 10 hours a day we take fridays off uh but our administration still works on the weekends and from thursday evening 
until Monday morning, we scored 30 more leads. Like 30 more people contacted us and said, we'd like to work with you guys. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with that. It's a-okay. Now, there was one instance where I did pick up the phone and here's the story. So I go to look at this house. There's a family who's living there. There is one of their kids has severe mental disabilities and literally uses their feces as a weapon, like throws it at people. And so the whole house smells like a bathroom and they can't really afford to move out while it is being sold. And they have purchased a new house and it's contingent, which means that they need to sell their house like immediately. And as I'm walking through this house, I'm like, look, there's nothing I can do for you. I cannot help you stage this house. I cannot get it ready for market. I said, I think what you need is you need somebody who's a general contractor who wants to buy this house and flip it and turn it around so you can sell this house off market. So I talked to their real estate agent. This is what I think needs to happen. Do you know any contractors? And she's like, no, I have no idea. And I was like, look, I have another agent. I can pair you up with this agent and they represent contractor who does flips that like, this is like perfectly up their alley. And so the agent is like, okay, great. Let's do that. So I introduce the two parties, right? I introduce the family's agent to the contractor's agent. I am clearly in the middle of it. I'm like, Hey, look, here's a deal. If you guys buy this house, you can renovate it and flip it. These people can sell their house. They can get into their new house. This can be a win-win situation for everybody. I'm not getting anything out of this. But if you could please keep me in mind for future projects, I would greatly appreciate it. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Fast forward. Six months later, the deal goes through, the renovation goes through, the house comes back on the market with the agent that I introduced, staged Mm -hmm. by somebody else. No! And I gotta tell you, man, I picked up the phone. I picked up the phone and I was like, hey, yeah, I just saw that your house went on the market. I was really surprised that you didn't even ask me for a price. I'm like, I was the one who brought you that deal. You're getting two commissions out of it. You both got the seller and the buyer commission out of it and you didn't even call me. And they're like, oh man, I am so sorry. I didn't even think about it. And that deal turned into five more deals that we got. Oh. Yeah, I mean, they owned up to their bullshit and they were like, hey, you know what? That was a dick move on our part. We're going to bring you some work. And so they brought us five more projects. But every once in a while, I think it is appropriate to like to call them out and be like, hey, man, I didn't ask for a referral fee on this or anything. Because I mean, like real estate agents, do they get referral fees? I mean, they could go upwards of like 50, 60% for a referral fee. I didn't ask for a dime. It's like just at least consider me to stage this project, please. <laughs> you know, I think if it's, this is somebody who was not friends or family. This was a client. And so my relationship with them was purely business. I also didn't call and get mad. I was just like, dude, that's pretty uncool. You know, just kind of like letting them know that like, that's not how I treat people in my business. Friends and family is really different. I almost prefer like not to work with them. You know, I mean, you've got your own business. Did you ever have a situation where like, you know, one of your friends and family decided that they were going to buy essential oils from somebody? else oh yeah or they'll buy right off of amazon instead of going through you yeah because jeff bezos needs more money right. i mean in a team business yeah they can buy it from other people they're like oh well i decided to buy it from someone down the street or whatever and i'm just like well i'm the one that just taught you how to use these things i'm the one that you didn't even know what they were before me and like they just a total lack of awareness kind of just like you said like oh i didn't even think mm-hmm. and it's just people kind of like being selfishly inside their world and not really thinking about the people that they're doing business with and as you know as entrepreneurs i think we are very kind 
conscious about where we put our money, you know, who we put our money into and all of these things because we know what it's like. But a lot of people don't live that kind of world and just think that wherever they get it, wherever they get it and without really thinking it through. Right. So the rejection of that never feels good. But then on like the other hand, like rejection and dating for me is really easy. <laughs> First of all, I don't get rejected that. First of all, I don't reject it that much. But second of all, <laughs> it is so much easier for me to come to a place where it's like, oh, this didn't work out and that's a good thing. It didn't work out and that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Because that's, you never want to force a business deal. You never want to force a relationship. You never want to force anything. And it's just like, I really do believe like what is meant to be will be. Let's talk about that, that whole meant to be thing. Because like we have yeah. flat out fired clients before. As a business owner, that is a hard thing to do to fire a client. Generally, what it's come down to is, let's say at the time we have seven clients, okay, seven like hardcore clients who come in and they use us all the time. When we've done this situation, it's because one of those seven clients is using three quarters of our energy and time because yeah. of the emotional babysitting and the trips back to the house multiple times to change things out over and over and over again. And, you know, well, I don't understand your rules and I'm confused and it's the 15th time that they've used us. And like our rules are not super complicated. It's pretty easy to work with us. And when it came down to it, we were just like, hey, you know, I think I've got a referral for you to go to another home stager. I don't think we're your home stager anymore. It is the hardest thing to do. People say that firing employees is the hardest thing to do. I think firing clients is way harder because like yeah. you're taking this gigantic risk. But what has ended up happening, like the last time that I fired one of our clients, what ended up happening is I went from seven clients. Now I had room, I had capacity for 20 clients because that one yeah. person was taking up so yes. much time, money, and energy yes. for my company that I like had to say goodbye to them. So looking back yes. on it, you know, here we are a year and a half, two years later. I'm super glad that we did it. But at the time, man, it feels terrifying. Terrifying. You know, there really is a lot of magic to clearing out things in your life. There's, excuse me, all things in our life take up time, energy, resources, right? And clearing yeah. out things that don't work. Like truly, it's not the goal in business or in relationships to try to force everything to work yeah. because you will absolutely exhaust yourself. Yeah. It's like the domestic violence victim that is always going back to their abuser because it's not all bad. You know, like there were times when I, when right. I fired that client, there were times that were like fucking great. Like we got some really cool projects out of it. Things were good, you know, and it's really hard to see that forest through the trees when you're trying to figure out like, is this person good for me? Is this person not good for me? Everybody around you can see it. This person is terrible for you, but they don't want to say it because it's your it's your partner right so oh god it's so hard you know we talk about this whole idea of like buying from amazon and supporting jeff bezos versus buying from your local vendor as we go yeah. into the holiday season um and we're starting to buy gifts there's a couple yeah. of things i think that we can do that can help to put money into local businesses pockets versus into big internet companies pockets one is like when you order from a restaurant go pick it up yourself don't necessarily use a big delivery service because they take major cuts out of those when it says free delivery it's free to you but it's not free to the restaurant somebody has to get huh. paid for moving that food there when you do a google search and you're looking for your you know your favorite etsy vendor if it comes up on a facebook ad don't click on those facebook ads go directly to etsy and find your vendor and buy it through there if you're buying it through the facebook ad they're charging an extra percentage to sell that product for them when you're doing a google search if you're going to click on one of the links click on the unpaid link not through the Google link because they get charged for those Google ads. If you can buy from your local essential oil vendor versus buying it through Amazon, do that. Think about 
think of it in terms of this, like you're buying a gift for your loved one, but at the same time, you can also buy a gift for your local entrepreneur just by utilizing their business and going through them directly versus going through an outside vendor to get through them. Especially right now, I can't tell you how many, I mean, obviously we're here in Portland, there are so many cute boutiques that are have not fully opened because their space is just too small. So you have to actually book an appointment to even go in and shop at that boutique. And I've been doing that, which of course is a couple of extra steps, but it's just like, these are the businesses we have to keep open through the fall and the winter and they're going to be hurting. So I totally agree. We've all got extra time that we usually would be driving to meetings since we're doing all on Zoom and that commute takes about three seconds. We've got extra time to get out of the house and go to a store and buy something. So, you know, as much as we can support our local businesses, Please, please, please do so. Kelly, it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. And you as well. Our music is composed by Joff Metz. You can find him at Five Star Guitars with an S.com. That's not Five Star Guitars. With the, it's actually Five Star Guitars. There's, there is an S at the end, but you don't have to type out with an S. Yeah, <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Today's guest was Tamara Dean of Windermere Yarrow Bay, located in Kirkland. Kelly Hanahan, it's always such a pleasure. The uh, podcast is called Behind the Yard Sign. Thank you so so much to all the people who have reached out to us who wanted to tell us their story. If you have a story that you want to tell, please reach out. You can find us at spade-archer.com. Just click on the podcast link behind the yard sign. Until next time for lucky episode number 13, Kelly, we're out of here. Bye. This production of Behind the Yard Sign is brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.